Hey, episode 10 of season 5 in the deep dive, and we are in Romans 5, and we are talking about peace with God. What are the realities of our salvation? How can we be sure that we are saved, and what should be our attitude in the midst of suffering? This is going to be great stuff. Let's get to it today on the deep dive. Yeah. Romans chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles or Bible app, and make sure, as always, that you are subscribed to the channel, youtube.com slash timhatchlive, and click that notification bell so that you can get notified on your smartphone when we go live. Guys, I can't tell you how excited I am to present this content to you tonight. Every Wednesday night, we gather around the scriptures, go verse by verse. Sometimes we'll head over here to the Bible camp. And uh, we're going to go to Romans 5, so I hope you guys have got your Bibles open with me, and uh, we, you can uh, follow along in the text, there we go, <laughs> text, there we go, with me, because today's content is life-giving. There's just just one word for this text. Well, it's like a hyphenated word, life-giving. <laughs> you, you want to dig in today in the book of Romans so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do a bumper, and then we're going to get in. Are you ready? Father God, thank you for this chance to hear your word. May you speak to our hearts. May you show us Jesus. May we grow deeper in our trust in his finished work, not just to save us from sin, but to bring us the Holy Spirit within so that we can have confidence for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've crossed a key line in our study in the book of Romans. Now, remember from episode one, I gave you an outline of this book. It's always good to outline books because the the books of the Bible, they have a theme, they have an order, they have progression that is also inspired by God. So not just the words, but the progression of thoughts are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And with that in mind, let's look at the progression of thoughts in Romans thus far. So we have talked about justification by faith. Now we are moving into part two, life in the spirit, and we will get to eventually uh, God's sovereign election and then life in the body. But where are we at right now? Very simple, guys. We have turned the corner. We have moved. We're not, well, we never move on from justification by faith, but we are moving on to a new line of thought here into what does it look like now to have justification, life in the spirit, Okay, so that's where we are, and the Holy Spirit really does take over from this point forward in the theological treatise that is Romans. Quick recap, Romans 4 was all about the faith of Abraham, his justifying faith. He believed when there was no reason to believe. He believed in spite of the evidence. He, he heard the word of God and followed the word of God, and he grew in his faith. He grew in a faith that went from selling out his wife and impregnating her servant to a faith that was willing to offer the promised son Isaac on the altar because he knew that God could raise uh, people from the dead. He could bring life out of the dead, and that is the gospel. Life comes from dead places. Jesus ra- rises from the tomb. Dead men and women throughout the world, in every generation, and in every society, and in every culture, and every state, and every nation, have come to life through from the dead through Jesus Christ. 
But if we're honest, we talked about this last week, that faith is a bumpy road. Yeah, faith is a bumpy road because there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, there's going to be challenges. What if we sin after we're saved? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a big question. What if we keep making the same mistakes over and over again? What is the hope of my salvation when there's bumps in the road and sometimes I'm the guy paving the bumps in place? Like I'm the guy putting the speed bumps in my own life. Well, you've come to the right place, my friend. You've come to the best part of the book of Romans thus far. And I've been saying that every week, but you know what? It's just, that's how the book of Romans works. It just gets better and better and better. So here's what we're discussing. Since faith is a bumpy road, what is the hope of my salvation through all the bumps in the road? What's that hope? And Romans 5 is going to take us to the assurance of our salvation. That's Paul's theme. That's Paul's thought in Romans chapter 5. And it's just going to be wonderful for you to hear this today because salvation listen, guys, is not something that just happened in your past. It's something that's happening to you right now. Your salvation is a past, present, future reality. You are saved. You were saved. You were be, let me back up. You were saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. And, and this is so important because we, we've got to dig into the fact that there are things that God has spoken through the word that seal in our hearts a sense of belonging to him that we can have in Christ real peace knowing we're saved, real hope that though we aren't what we should be, we aren't what we used to be, and by God's grace, we will become what he wants us to be. And most importantly, we can know and experience the love of God in our lives. So Romans chapter 5, open your Bibles, let's get to it, talk about what it meant. Okay, three sections of the Bible study is always what it meant, what it means, and what it, why it matters. And so what it meant, every Christian will wrestle with this question at some time or another. Am I really saved? Paul knew this. Paul knew this because the justifying work of Jesus Christ is what establishes our relationship with God. It's what brings us into the family. But what about that rocky process of sanctification or transformation, or in simpler terms, becoming more like Jesus? Like, I have my good days and I have my bad days. You do too. What is the assurance that God has not given up on me? Romans chapter 5 will tell us this. The assurance, as you study this passage, is the work of God upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So let's go in right to chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. So that right there is looking back to Romans 1 to 4. Since we have that, now... Looking forward, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained, also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I want to introduce the contents, the contents of Romans chapter 5 like this, because Romans chapter 5 has everything to do with the assurance of salvation that we should all have to know that we are saved even when we don't feel like we're saved. And I want to open this study by saying that by the time Paul is going to pack into Romans chapter 5, such assurance of salvation for hopeless sinners that by the end of chapter 5, he's going to open Romans chapter 6 with this phrase. He's going to open up with the phrase, uh, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Don't miss this because he makes such a compelling case 
that we can be absolutely assured of, sal- of our salvation, that he actually has to toss out the question that would inevitably come to your mind as a result of all the assurance he's going to pack into your heart through Romans chapter 5. That if we are that certain we are saved, then perhaps we should just continue to sin. And of course, the answer to this in Romans chapter 6 is, uh, may it never be, right? He'll, 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 he'll answer that in Romans chapter 6 verse 2. Paul will reject continuing in sin because, because you've been saved from sin. But that's for uh, two episodes from now. The point that I'm trying to make right now is that you, you're you going to get so much assurance from Romans chapter 5 that you're literally going to get to that point where we're going to say with the Apostle Paul and say, I guess we can just say it. I guess we can just sin. No, 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 no. But back to the emphasis. We're going to get assured of our salvation today. And, and here's the heartbeat of Romans chapter 5. The gospel cannot just be good news about our past. It has to be good news about our present and about our future. And this is what I love about the gospel. You never move on from the gospel. Let me hear, let me say that again. You never move on from the gospel. Christians have to root themselves in the gospel, uh, past, present, and future with the Lord Jesus Christ, because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion unto the day of Christ Jesus. So let's go back to Romans chapter five, verse one, and take a look at it a little bit deeper. Therefore, since we have peace with God, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Okay, peace with God. Now that's important because it's not the peace of God that is found in Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 to 7 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God surpasses, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there is a peace of God that is available to you when you're going through trials and troubles and when you have the pressures of life. And that is a great peace to have. And it is available to you as Philippians chapter sa- Philippians 4 says, whenever you pray. So if you want the peace of God in whatever situation you are going through, pray, supplicate, give thanks, and make your request known to God, and you will receive the peace of God. This is an a peace that comes upon you, a calm, a calm that comes upon you in the midst of troubles and pressures. And again, great to have, always available to you, just pray about it. Don't stress about it, pray about it. Okay, but We're not talking about that piece here. And that's not what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. No, no, no. He's actually talking about peace with God. Peace with God. Now, here's what peace with God is. It is the end of hostilities between you and God. The end of hostilities. That that there's a friendship with God for the believer. There is reconciliation with God that our hearts need and our hearts have through faith. Paul will illustrate this in verse 10 later on, um, and we'll get there. But, But here's what you have to understand about the human condition apart from God. Before Christ, every human is at odds with God. Before Christ, every human is at odds with God. This is why when you talk about God with non-believers, as long as you talk about the generic idea of God, they're fine. But when you start talking about the God who sent Jesus Christ, his son, who is God, the son in human flesh, and he is the way, the truth, and the life, immediately the, the guards go up, the defenses go up. Immediately they start to you know, emotionally push you away. Maybe they might even react. Their, their, their countenance sours because... Apart from Christ, there is a hostility 
There is a hostility that every human being has with God. And I love what Tim Keller says about this text because he says that sin is claiming authority over your life and over your world. But, but proper theology, biblical theology teaches us that it is God who is the true king with authority over your life and over the world. And here's the deal. Whenever two parties claim authority over something, there's what? There's war, there's hostility, there's animosity. And that's what every unbeliever has against God. That's what you had against God before you were saved. Like Ephesians chapter two says that you, like the rest of mankind, were by nature children of wrath, okay? And here's the thing. You and every human being always loses authority over your life and over your world to God. It's just a matter of how you lose it. The unbeliever loses authority over their life and over the, their world by struggle, failure, uh, discouragement, depression, anxiety, ultimately sickness and death. The believer loses authority over their life and God through surrender. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us and vicariously for us in the cross. Please don't miss this. This is so good. That in the cross, Jesus surrenders to the will of the Father as a man. He cedes authority of his human life into the hands of God. And then he brings us into his submission as we receive him as Lord over our lives. We're going to get deeper into this next episode, but it's important to understand. He is our, he is our federal head. We were under Adam, again, next episode, and now through Christ, we are under Christ. We are in surrender to God. Adam took authority, tried to take authority, really followed the devil's lead, and, and he rebelled against God's authority, and everyone under Adam is in rebellion, in animosity, in hostility to God. But everyone in Christ, the new Adam, the second Adam, we are under the surrender of Christ to God's will. That's what we receive in Christ Jesus. Salvation is not stamping a ticket and getting to heaven. Salvation is surrendering to the God who is Lord of heaven and Lord of earth. Lord of us, because we are from the earth, right? So what God did in Christ was wash us clean of all of our sins, and he, pour, and he bore the punishment for us of our sins so that we could have peace with God, a relationship. This is not, again, not calm. This is a relationship that we have now that you know, when you're at odds with someone, there's just there's just that hostility, there's that animosity, there's that there's that tension that comes into the room whenever you see them because you're at odds with them. Well, that's gone through Christ between us and God, and it brings a relationship. I illustrate it like this: um, I get <laughs> pulled over by the police on a regular basis. I won't tell you why. Uh, <laughs> I, I drive fast. And I'm sure some of you can relate to what happens when you get pulled over by a policeman, right? What happens? Immediately, you just see the red lights and you're like, or the blues, and you're like, oh my gosh, here we go. Oh, the tension and the, and the stress and the fear and the anxiety. And then the officer takes his time to get out of the car and come to us. And you're like, oh, what's he going to do? And then he comes walking up and you roll down your window. And, and if you're like me, you do this with the, with the officer. You're like, oh, I'm so sorry, officer. I know I was going so, I'm, I know I was going fast. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. And, and so one time I got pulled over. Uh, by this officer and all that stress came upon me and you know the what's this going to cost how many points is going to incur upon my insurance you know 
how am I going to tell my wife? Because she's always complaining about my speed. <laughs> well, this one time, this officer pulled me over right down the street from our church. And then he comes up to the car and I've got this stress and this animosity, this hostility, like I'm talking about between us and God, apart from the relationship. And I'll never forget, he comes up to the window and he says, hey, aren't you Pastor Tim from Waters Church? An immediate relief fell over me because he knew who I was. He knew who I was as the pastor of the church. He'd even been to the church. And I said, yes, I am. And and suddenly there was just this camaraderie and there was this like openness of relationship. And he didn't even bother to ask for my license or my um, registration. He just told me to slow down and, 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 uh, and, you know, take it easy. And I sped off and <laughs> anyway, but the thing is, is that the relationship that I had with this officer brought peace to a place of judgment. And when you have a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, he brings peace mm, to a place of judgment. You are no longer at odds with God. Secondly, we have also obtained access. Access by faith into this grace in which we stand. What has God done in Christ? Not just brought you a relationship that brings you peace in the place of judgment, but he has also given you Access. The word access in the Greek is prosagoge. It means to be ushered into the presence of someone noble. It means to be ushered into the presence of someone that is more important than you, someone that is uh, in authority over you. And so what God has done in Christ Jesus is he has given us this. And, and, and let me go back to the text because it's important. He has obtained or we have obtained. Let me just see if I can get my writing down here, guys. Won't work here. There we go. We have obtained access by faith into this grace. And the obtaining word there is in the perfect tense, which means it is continual. It is a continual obtaining of access to the presence of God. It could be better translated, having constantly access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Having constantly access. Like we... We can enter to the presence of God and to the grace of God constantly. I love this idea. We are always under grace. We are under overwhelming grace. That's why he will get to that point where we say, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Again, next episode. But we are in the overwhelming grace of God, always living in continual access to his grace by faith, being able to stand in right relationship with God. And then thirdly, don't miss this, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So three things we have right off the bat. Peace with God, a relationship. Access with God, that means closeness, proximity, and grace. And the hope of the glory of God, the Christian's hope. By the way, the word for hope here is elpis in the Greek. It, it does not refer to wishing. It does not refer to aiming or you know, um, trying to go for, or, you know, uh, plan for, it is not a hopeful wish. The word help is, means a conviction of hope. The Christian has hope. He doesn't simply hope. He has hope. This is why down through the ages of Christendom, brothers and sisters have gone to their deaths, singing hymns and rejoicing in God because they had a firm conviction that to Stop breathing in this life was to enter into the true life, 
life with God and eternity. It's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer would go to his death in a Nazi prison camp three months before the end of World War II, saying to his friend as the guards came to take him to the hangman's noose that day, this, he said, quote, this is for me the end, but the beginning of life. And if you read Bonhoeffer's, the book Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas, you will read in the last chapter how the observing doctor he, he accounted the death of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and he said, in my 50 years of service as a doctor, I have never seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. See, he had a conviction. He had a firm sense that this life was not all that there is. It is not a hopeful wish, right? And by the way, your hope is not in your ability to stay saved. And Paul's going to unpack this, right? He says, we have, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, that God is glorious to bring me to an end that is rooted in him. It is the glory of God, the strength of God, the power of God, okay, that brings you this hope. Let me sum it up by saying this. The hope of the Christian is not a subjective hope rooted in their feelings. It is an objective hope rooted in God's power to save them. See, your salvation is the work of God in the past. Guess what, guys? It's the work of God in your present. Let me give you some, let me give you some more text to illustrate what I'm talking about. First uh, Peter 1 verse three to five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. He has caused us. Come on, somebody read that properly. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, who by God's power are being guarded. Can you say that with me? That you are being guarded by God's power for that salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I love that. Because not only does he say he has caused you to be saved, he has, God, is the, God is the cause of your salvation. Who, I don't know who brought you to faith. I don't know what sermon did it for you. I don't know what moment did it for you. But ultimately, behind all those moments, behind all those sermons, behind all those people was God. God caused you to be saved. God caused you to be born again. And God now guards you in salvation until the last day. Let me give you another passage of scripture. Jude 24, 25. Now to him who is able, again, God's power to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Now, Jude, of all books, is the, one of the toughest books to read because it's all about the false believers and the false teachers who sneak into the midst of the church and they disrupt your peace and they cause division and they spread rumors and they, you know, they, they talk about that faith is a license to sin and grace is a license to sin. And he's like, you got to reject these people. They are reserved for judgment. They have, they have lost the faith. They have no faith. And it's a dark book. But the book ends with this fact that God is able to present true believers in his presence without fault, without, without blame, completely perfect. In his presence. God does it, not you. Oh, I, I just love these truths because if my ultimate salvation was up to me, I'd fail. And so would you. 
See, the God who saved me is the God who's sanctifying me. And this is just already so good, but we're just getting started. We've got to get to Romans chapter 5, verse 3. He says, not only that, not only do we have, not only do we have peace with God and hope in God and uh, uh, the love of God, but we, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. So it gets better here, Christian. It gets better because the Christian has joy in sufferings. The Christian has a cause to rejoice in sufferings. The word sufferings is um, uh, thepsis, which means pressure. Literally under the pressures of life, the Christian can rejoice because we know that everything happens to you as a Christian because God has already guaranteed our completion. Okay, going back to verse 1 and 2. Everything that happens between now and that completion is going to be used to do what? To produce endurance and character and even further and greater hope that will never put us to shame gosh, this is just so rich. This is so wonderful, so beautiful, so life-giving. And there's there's more to it. And I want to I want to unpack this because I think we got to see this graphically. Let me put this on the screen. There's the old you. And then you got saved and the new you, right? Now you are justified. That's that's Romans 4, up to Romans 4, Romans 1 to 4, okay? So then the new you is now in waiting until the immortal you right? So there's old you, BC, new you, AD, and heaven, the final age. And here's the thing. What, what happened to make old, new you, new you? God happened. Jesus says in John six thirty seven, all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You were given by the father to Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, that he rose from the dead, that he is Lord and Savior of life, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, you are a gift from the Father to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will never, ooh, oh, I just get, I get psyched up about this text. He will never cast you out. Uh, by the way, John 6, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. If you came to Christ, it's because God drew you. John 6, 65, he says, I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father grants it to him. Now, the difference between the old you and new you is God's work in you. And guess what? The distance between new you and immortal you. Okay, that this distance. What's that? Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 1, 8. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? The God who saved you is the God who sustains you, the God who changes you, the God who sanctifies you. In other words, it was God who transformed you into new you, and it is God who will transform you and keep you and preserve you into immortal you. I'm telling you, this is 
This is where you find your assurance and faith. This is where you find the hope that is yours in Christ Jesus. And this is why Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says very famously, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not only in my abs- my, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will, desire, and to work, action, for his good pleasure, and do all things without uh, disputing and grumbling. I'm, I am being worked on. I am being worked in right now by God. Now, if you are not feeling this, like like you're listening to me and you're like, man, this is good, but you know what? I'm I'm a weak I'm in a weak place right now, pastor. If you're not feeling strong, there's a simple reason for that. If you're a believer, cuz believers will sometimes feel weak, and there's a simple reason why you don't feel strong. Are you ready for it? You have not been abiding in Christ. You have not been doing what John 15 says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit, and your fruit will remain he even says apart from you you can do nothing so christians have an obligation even from this text in philippians 2 to work out what god has worked in so you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling but you do that by abiding in christ well what does that mean to abide in christ it means to stay in the places where christ dwells well where does christ dwell he dwells through his word jesus is the living word and he says you feed on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is the bread of life. Okay, that's Matthew chapter four, and it's also Deuteronomy chapter eight. You also grow stronger in prayer. So uh, Jude will actually say this, that you keep yourselves in the love of God, praying in the spirit. Ephesians chapter six, praying in the spirit at all times. Uh, uh, That's all over the scriptures. Jesus oftentimes withdrew and went alone to be with the Lord and pray. That's how he strengthened himself in God. Uh, So you you read the word, you pray. Third, you get worshiping in a community of believers. The people who are strong in the Lord are in regular attendance with other believers and a small group community worshiping the Lord and celebrating the goodness of God in community. You need a brother. You need a sister, plural, brothers, sisters, who will strengthen you in God. Ecclesiastes talks about that. A a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Uh, Woe to the man who has no man to pick him up when he falls. So two can stand against an army, right? All these texts teaching us about community, the over 50 one another's and each other's in the New Testament, reminding us that we got to do this together. And when you do these things, praying, praying, reading the word and fellowshipping and worshiping in community, you get stronger. You get stronger. So if you're not feeling strong, it's because you're not abiding in Christ. And abiding in Christ is not sitting there like some Hindu and just kind of like lattice, lotus positioning it. No, no, no. Abiding in Christ is doing the things that Christ modeled for us. He was alone with the Father. He knew the word from memory. Remember, he actually could just spout it off to the devil when he was tempted. And he was in fellowship with a small group, his 12 disciples, and in a large group in the, in the preaching and teaching gathering. So if Jesus did these things, to stay strong. So do you have to do these things. Okay, I'm just telling you because some Christians don't feel very strong. And the reason is because they don't do the things that make them strong. Okay, back to the text, verse five. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. Now, this is the first mention of the full term Holy Spirit in the book of Romans. He has mentioned the Spirit before, but this is the first time he's actually said Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit will dominate chapters 5 through 8 and mostly chapters 8. You'll see the Spirit just covered in Romans 8. And there's a reason for that. And we'll get to that. But it's important because Jesus is the one who saves us, Romans chapter 1 through 4, so that the Holy Spirit can come into us, Romans 5 through 8. See, you got the order? Because it's so important. It's these, these, these 
these realities, this order matters. Now, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into your life at conversion. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart at conversion. When Jesus rose from the dead, remember in John, he appears before them and it says he breathes on them as they believe that he's raised from the dead and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then later in Acts chapter two, they receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, they speak in other tongues and they have boldness. And in Acts chapter four, they are filled again and they have boldness. And all throughout the scriptures and book of Acts, there's boldness and power and confidence and the, and the gifts ministries through the Holy Spirit dispersed to the church as God pours out the Holy Spirit. Here's why I'm saying all that. Many people, when they are saved, will feel <clears throat> the pouring of the Holy Spirit into their hearts. Many people, when they first get saved, will feel. Many people will feel it after they get saved. Please don't miss this. So if you're one of the people who confessed faith in Christ, got baptized, and you still say, well, I have never really felt like the love of God, uh, the Holy Spirit, well, pray for it. Ask for it. Jesus talked about this in Luke 11, that if you evil men know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, you hold, will, the, will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So you've got to ask God to give you the Holy Spirit right now. Maybe you need to pause this right now. And maybe you need to just stop and say, Father, I want to feel and know the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to do that right now where you are driving in a car, listening to it on your podcast app, or you're watching it on ho- at home on YouTube. And you just need, before you go any further, ask God for, for the Holy Spirit to be poured out into your life. See, the Puritan theologians believe this. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, too, a, 19th, a 20th century theologian, believed this, too. That there is the potential for wave after wave after wave of God's love coming upon the believer after conversion. It, that, that's, that's the words, the pouring into our hearts, the love of God through the Holy Spirit. Many people confess to me that when they receive Jesus Christ at my church, they talk about how they just felt this overwhelming sense of God's love. They felt this warmth. I remember when I received the Holy Spirit, I was saved as a young child, but I received the Holy Spirit with the gift of, of speaking in tongues. That doesn't happen for everybody at that moment, but I did. And I felt the overwhelming wave of God's warmth and love. It was a, there's no word for it in English for what I experienced. And you can experience that too. And I would, I would, I would counsel you. I'm serious. Maybe pause the recording right now and ask God to do that for you right where you are. He wants to do it to you. He wants to give it to you. But the reason why is because the love of God that is abiding us through the Holy Spirit is what produces assurance of our salvation. And and that is, let me put it this way, only with the assurance of God's love can the Christian faith suffering with joy. You see, if you don't have the assurance of God's love in your heart through the Holy Spirit, then you will respond to suffering the way unbelievers respond to suffering. And it might not mean that you aren't saved. It just means that you need the Holy Spirit to pour out love of, the love of God in your life. But here's how unbelievers respond to suffering, trials, tragedy. They respond in one of three ways. God does not love me. That's number one. Or number two, God is punishing me for my behavior. That's number two. Or they respond, God, there is no God. So this is what, this is what unbelievers say. As soon as, that's why an unbeliever will say, there's no God. Look at suffering in the Middle East. Look at suffering in Africa. Look at starving children. Look at these. Look at, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. There's suffering in the world. But how do you respond as a believer? Not with this, throw your hands up in the air and, and, and flip out and, and fall apart. No, no, no. You respond with assurance that this suffering, this tragedy, this trouble, God is going to use it for my good and for his glory. This, this is also you know manifested in so many believers throughout recent Christian history. I'll give you the two archetypes of suffering 
with joy through the love of God in their hearts through the Holy Spirit. I think of Joni Erickson Tata. This is a woman who at 17 years old dove into a pond, broke her neck, and was a quadriplegic for the rest of her life and still is alive. And she wanted to commit suicide and she was depressed sitting on a hospital bed thinking, I need to commit suicide. But the problem was she was a quadriplegic and she had no physical way of killing herself. And she just gave her life to God. She surrendered. She talked about how in the hospital room, God gave her a new purpose, a new joy, a new sense of vision and mission in life. And this is a woman who learned how to paint with her teeth. And she has spoken about God's love and joy around the world. She traveled around the world. She's written over 40 books. She started a movie about her own life and she's founded a ministry that is still in existence today that helps accelerate Christian ministry to the disabled community. She has suffered, but she has allowed God to use the suffering to bless the world and glorify God in the midst of it. I think of Nick Vucevic. Nick Vucevic was born without arms and legs. When he was born, his parents left the hospital and went outside and literally vomited because they were, they were overwhelmingly sick at the sight of their son. And while they were outside, the Lord gave them a word that God was going to use this for his glory. They went back in and they accepted his condition as part of God's plan and they raised him in the faith. And today he is married with four children. By the way, Joni Exercantata is married with children. He, is, he has written eight books. He has toured the world in, in, in both the Christian and the secular venues of uh, motivational speaking. And he talks about having the right attitude in spite of your handicaps. I mean, if anybody can talk about that with authority, it is Nick Vucevic and Joni Erickson Todd. These two people are born again, a brother and a born again sister in the faith who knows that God can use suffering for his glory and most importantly, to make us more like him. I love what Joni Erickson Tata says. She says this, God cares most, not about making us comfortable, but about teaching us to hate our sins, grow up spiritually and love him. Why does suffering come upon your life? Suffering comes upon your life to make you more like Jesus. That's why you rejoice in your sufferings because she's forming character in you. What character? Whose character? Not, not the president's character, not your senator's character, not your parents' character, Christ's character. And that's, that's why you will suffer because God cares more about making you like him than, more, than about you being comfortable. And I love what Nick Vucevic says. He says, the challenges in our lives are there to strengthen our convictions. They are not there to run us over. These two giant, giants of the faith understand that hope in God is settled through the work of Jesus Christ and not their own. Therefore, any challenge is simply an opportunity for God to show up in power in my life. So let me illustrate it in my own life. So, well, not my own life, my dog's life. I got a little puppy. I got a little puppy. His name is Cody. Uh, we've talked about him before. In fact, let's take a break with the puppy cam. <laughs> okay, anyway. So I got this little puppy. It is cute he's just a, such a cute little puppy but you know what he's getting that naughty stage he's digging everywhere he's chewing everything he's destroying all the christmas ornaments he's just wrecking our lives so my wife talked me into getting this and it really she did she had to talk me into getting this we got him the, we got a zap collar and there's two buttons up there well there's three buttons the top button is the little alert so i can know where he is the bu second button down is a little vibration collar uh, vibration mode and then the bottom is zap electrical spark I have refused until today to use the zap, but he got out of the house and he was running into traffic and I had to zap him. And as soon as I zapped him, he stopped and he came back to me. Was the zap painful? Yes. Did the zap bring momentary suffering? Yes. But the momentary suffering saved him from long-term death. 
This is the picture that you need of suffering. It is not there to electrocute you. It is there to educate you, to grow you, to shape you into a strong man or woman of God because you know he loves you. And that is why Paul says that this hope does not put us to shame. No, it creates in us a better version of us. Moving on in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Paul is going to use a very common form of argument from the ancient world. It's called, uh, uh, the Latin term is a fortiori, a fortiori, which means from lesser to much, from lesser to much. So how much more? Whenever you see how much more is an a fortiori argument. The first part of this argument is this, that Christ died for the ungodly, and it was the demonstration of God's love for us. Notice this says this, that this is the love of God, that God, this is the way that God shows his love for us, that he died for us while we were still sinners. Jesus says in John 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So you've got to see this about the love of God. The love of God is demonstrated for us in the cross. 2,021 years ago, Jesus. Every time you write the date, you are writing the date in relation to the death and resurrection, birth, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is 2,021 years, not since Caesar Augustus. He's a footnote on the history of God's story. It is not 2,021 years since B the B.C. era. I know they're trying to change the terminology. It is A.D., Anno Domine, the year of our Lord, B.C., before Christ, 2,021 years. The, what I'm trying to really just hammer in here is that the cross stands in history as a testimony to God's love for you. It's not this theoretical love, this enigmatic love, this ethereal love that you're supposed to feel. No, you can look back to the historical nature of the cross and know that God loves you. And then there's another thing, right? Because he's already said that through the Holy Spirit, we can experience the love of God. So, so two things. This is so powerful. Through the Holy Spirit in us, we receive the, the sense of God's love. And historically, outside of us, objectively and historically, we, we know of the love of God. We can point back to it. That's why we take communion. That's why we share the Lord's Supper. And we, we proclaim his death until he comes again. John Stark, John Stark writes this about these two aspects of God's love. Object, quote, objectively in history and subjectively in experience, God has given us good grounds for believing in his love. The integration of the historical ministry of God's son on the cross with the contemporary ministry of his spirit in our hearts is one of the most wholesome and satisfying features of the gospel. John Stott, fabulous theologian. But he, the way he says it, that it's objective history and it is also subjective experience. It is both and you feel the love of God through the Holy Spirit inside of you and you know historically of the love of God objectively through the history that is behind you. Powerful stuff. Powerful. So we're going to get wrapping up here. Verse 9. Since therefore now we have been justified by his blood, that is the death, justified through the death. How much more, there's the a fortiori argument, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? That is the future wrath of God, the, the end time wrath. For if while we were enemies, 
of God. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Shall we be saved? Future tense. So past tense justified. Now through his life, we are sanctified, justified, sanctified. Okay. These are important terms in the Christian's life and forgive my horrendous chicken scratch. (laughs) But this is so important. By the way, he makes a point about who we are, enemies of God. And some of you say, I don't like that term, enemies of God. But that's who we were. That's who we were. Before Christ, like I said, everyone is at odds with God. Uh, Psalm 711, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Ephesians 2, 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, children of wrath. Okay, these things, these, these terms are not haphazard. So bringing you back to Romans chapter 5, verse 9, that if God justified us through the blood of Jesus, he is going to save us. That means he is going to bring us to completion through the life of Jesus that exists in us through the Holy Spirit. It's just this wonderful. In other words, God does not go through the trouble of saving you from your sins to abandon you to your own efforts to make you a better Christian. Hear that again, Christian. He does not go through the trouble of saving you from your sins at the cost of his son's blood so they can just kind of abandon you. All right, now, now, buck up, soldier. Eh, give it your best shot, Christian. And, and if you don't do well, well, I'm just going to abandon you to the wrath. The wrath is coming. No, the a fortiori argument says, if he did this in our past, how much more will he do? See, it's, it's, it's what he says in um, John 5, 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You, you were brought back to God, back to life by God, even though you were his enemy. How much more now that you are his son or his daughter, shall you be saved in the future from any judgment and any wrath to come from lesser to greater? Or uh, John MacArthur says it like this. If he loved us when we were sinners, believe me, he can love us when we are children of his, when we are sons. If he could love us when we were enemies, He can love us when we are friends. This is all, end quote, this is all to bring the the Christian tremendous confidence in the salvation that Christ has brought them. And the final result, verse 11, is joy. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have, we have now received reconciliation, friendship, relationship. We might feel the pinch. We might feel the electric shock of God's uh, allowing, uh, allowing us to suffer in some way to ultimately transform us into more Christ-likeness. And that is not the uh, excuse to give up or to think that God has given up on us. It is to point us to the reality that God is not done with us. He is creating us a better version of us through the Holy Spirit that is at work in us. I've said this already this season, but it bears repeating. You know you are hearing the gospel preached 
when the resultant feeling is joy and the resultant action is worship. Not worship of the preacher or worship of the speaker, but worship of Jesus, worship of God the Father, worship of the Holy Spirit, three in one, right? We hear the gospel rightly and it turns our hearts toward him, amen. Let's get to what it means. Okay, so what it means, justification brings peace with God. We have peace with God, number one. Jesus said this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, his peace. What peace? The peace that he had with the Father. He lived in perfect peace with the Father, and he gives us that peace. That is that relational peace. Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Number two, we have access to God. We've already talked about this. Continual access to the grace of God. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Or Ephesians 3.12, in Christ we have obtained boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We've got access to God. Number three, we've got hope in suffering. Hope in whatever struggle and trial we go through. First Peter 6, well, one, First Peter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that my suffering and my trials and the pressures of my life are producing in me a better character, more like, like, more like Christ. Number four, we have love in our hearts, the love of God. Second Thessalonians 3, 5, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And number five, the assurance of life, that the Holy Spirit comes in and he reminds us we're his. He reminds us that we're his. He, he's gonna say this later on in chapter eight, that he causes the spirit in us to cry out, Abba, Father, right? Again and again and again. And so 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, it says this, that, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this wonderful? And I am sure, absolutely positive that I'm talking to somebody that this week has been a horrible week. One of those just terrible disobedience weeks. You've just been blowing it left, right, and center. And you're thinking, but man, I got no right to turn to God. I got no right to pray to him. I got no right to ask for these things. You're right, you don't. And by the way, you never did because you are not saved by your righteousness. You're saved by Christ's righteousness. His righteousness is gift righteousness, which brings me to one thing that I need to just put into this middle, put into the middle of all this. When the righteousness of God is all you have, rejoice because it's all the righteousness you need. When your righteousness has failed, when you have not been righteous, good news. You've got the gift righteousness of God available to you through faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's the only one you need because guess what? It's the only righteousness that God accepts. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, I think 44, you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's the only righteousness that God accepts. Perfect. Perfection. Where does that come from? It is a gift given to us by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's finish this off, guys, by talking about why it all matters. Why it matters. Why it matters. Are you ready? Because you are being saved. And I could also add to that and say, let me just put this little notation here. You are all, you are being saved and you will be saved. 
So past, present, future. Oops. Will be my chicken scratch. <laughs> okay, so you are saved and uh, you will, you are being saved and you will be saved. Got some great points for you. Summing it all up, why all this stuff matters, why Romans 5 is so important, because we never move on from God's grace. That's number one. The same grace that saved you is the grace that you have access to right now that conforms you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Second, peace with God overcomes trials everywhere else, overcomes pressures everywhere else. If you have peace with the maker of the universe, then what in the universe can truly harm you or destroy you? You know the maker. Like This, <laughs> this is what Jesus says to Pilate. You would have no authority over me if it was not given to you from my father who was over, over you. So Jesus has total peace in front of Pilate. He's, he's silent. He's not begging for his life. He's not breaking down. Total peace. In the face of his accuser, in the face of the one who held his life in his hands because he knew that actually it was the father who gave him the authority to hold his life in his hands. So with, with the peace that, that we have with God, we can overcome any trial. Third, suffering is inevitable and profitable. Suffering is inevitable. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Fourth, our eternal hope is imperishable. God has secured our place in heaven with him outside of the wrath to come. What's coming upon the world? Wrath. Where are we going to be? Safe with God. Safe in God. At peace with God. My friends, let me put that full screen. I, I don't know if it gets any better than that. I don't know. And you know what? We are only halfway through Romans chapter five and we are only four and a half chapters through the book of Romans. It just gets better and better. That's why if this book doesn't get you saved, get you ratcheted up, get you Holy Ghost filled, get you jazzed about who you are, man, check your pulse because you might need a physical resurrection and not just a spiritual one. <laughs> Uh, it's been a pleasure to be with you guys tonight. Check me out at TimHatchLive.com and all the social medias at or forward slash TimHatchLive. Also, as usual, subscribe to the channel. If you haven't already, give the beard some love. It's right here, YouTube.com slash TimHatchLive. And um, all that is available to you 24 hours a day. Check out the book, Move, Entering into God's Promises for You. Swag at the website. 10 questions with Tim every first Thursday of every month. Got some great hot questions coming in already. Make sure you get yours submitted to ask at timhatchlive.com before all those slots are taken up. And if you can support the channel, I always appreciate it. I thank you guys for helping me out, staying on the air, making sure that we can spread the news, get our word out. We're putting money into advertising. We're trying to get into more outlets and we want to get on the radio all over the place. Got big plans for the channel. Got big plans for the content. I'm excited. And also remember to tune in for the deep end next Tuesday, this Tuesday night, in which we will be talking about uh, a lot of things, but we will also mostly be talking about the top 10 mistakes people make about retirement. So join me for a special guest appearance on how to plan better for retirement, no matter what age you are. It's never too late to do that. God bless you guys. I'll see you next week.